Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. <laughs> It's now time for Cannabis Talk 101 with Blue, Joe Grande, and Mark and Craig Wasserman, the Pot Brothers at Law. We're the world's number one podcast for everything cannabis. Take a hit, get lit, and sit back and enjoy Cannabis Talk 101 with Blue, Joe Grande, Mark and Craig Wasserman, the Pot Brothers at Law, here on a beautiful day. A beautiful day and it's me mark wasserman the was little brother of the pop brothers at law holding it down again and i'm gonna do a show today about the history of cannabis in california and we'll touch on uh, other parts of the united states as cannabis made its way from uh, well initially being legal to illegal, to criminalized, to fully criminalized, to decriminalized, to partially legalized. You know, there was a headline in 2018 that came out that said, on January 1, 2018, cannabis became legal for recreational use in the state of California. Bullshit. I called bullshit then, I call bullshit now. It is not legal, it has never been legal. That is a big misnomer. It's just the irresponsibility of the media over the years of plastering out legalization. It's legal in California. No, it's not. If it's legal, why are people still getting arrested? Huh? Tell me that. If it's legal, why are people getting arrested? No, because it's partial legalization. And that holds true not only for California, but the entire United States. 
in all these states where they've passed medicinal laws or adult use laws, they have not passed it all the way. It is partial legalization. Remember, there's limits, you know, like in California, you can possess up to an ounce as an adult. Now, if you have a physician's recommendation for medicinal purposes, you can have up to eight ounces, but there's limits to all of it. There's limits and laws and rules as to how much you have, not like, you know, cigarettes, you know, you can go buy 500 boxes of cigarettes and throw them in the trunk of your car. You ain't breaking any laws. You can have 10 cases of Jack Daniels or Belvedere vodka. You're not breaking any laws, but goddamn have three, four ounces of pot in your trunk. Oh, you're a goddamn criminal. So it's, uh, it's horrible the way that people are get confused the way that people get confused because of headlines because of stories and because the lack of information that people seek the information is out there i mean you just got to google it google the laws in your state google the marijuana laws normal n o r m l .org the national organization for reform of marijuana laws has been around for what i believe 50 years now and you want to know what's going on in your state about marijuana cannabis laws, you go to normal and it has a list state by state. It'll tell you what the, the, the laws are, the misdemeanors, the felonies, if it's infraction, if it's decriminalized, it'll give you all the information you need to know in your state. And it's very important if you are a cannabis user that you know the laws in and around where you live and where you're traveling. So let's get into some background of, uh, the history of cannabis. And, you know, in these articles, I find they, they, they always refer to it as marijuana. And I did a show just a, a couple of days ago about words and the importance of words and, and how when they criminalized it, uh, they used different words other than cannabis to relate it with minorities and hippies and uh, jazz music and all sorts of other things. So I do my best to replace the word marijuana with cannabis when I see it in these articles. But very few people know the history of cannabis in California and that it actually predates its admission into the union, which took place on September 9th, 1850. Now cannabis was cultivated for rope and fiber as early as 1795 here in the golden state of California. And most historians believe that cultivation began at a mission in San Jose. Imagine that, started in a mission. They started cultivating in a mission. Well, by 1810, the state was producing an enormous amount of hemp, 220,000 pounds but a Mexican rebellion against the Spanish crown resulted in subsidies, excuse me, I'm talking like my brother, stiddies in some subsidies <laughs> for uh, the crop getting cut. And by 1841, practically all California hemp farms were abandoned. Fast forward to the end of the, the 19th century, and you got the Armenian, Turk, and Arab immigrants starting to grow psychoactive cannabis for local consumption. Immigrants and their use of cannabis due mostly to reefer madness government propaganda resulted in severe restrictions. 
California, California initially refused to follow that trend, but eventually the state fell in line. Seems that the Golden State wasn't always such a maverick and a leader in the cannabis space. So let's look at cannabis criminalization in California from 1913 to 1975. Now in 1907, California passed the Poison and Pharmacy Act. Yeah, the Poison and Pharmacy Act, basically calling cannabis poison, not basically calling it poison. This banned the sale of cocaine, morphine, and opium without a prescription. And cannabis was included in this list. It was actually included six years later. So in uh, 1913, it was added to the Poison and Pharmacy Act in California. As a result, California was one of the first states to prohibit cannabis. Massachusetts was the first to ban the sale without a prescription in 1911. Now, the law started to become stricter towards cannabis users as anti-cannabis hysteria slowly reached fever pitch in 1925. Possession was punishable by up to six years in prison. Wow, six years in prison for possession of a little bit of cannabis in 1925. Let's think about that. Right now in Texas, if you have some cannabis, it's a felony. You can go to jail for... Just about that time, even longer. We've heard horrific stories about that. So by the end of the decade, a second offense was punishable by a maximum of 10 years. So you pick up your first, it's six years. You pick up your second, it's 10. So somebody back in 1925 could have a joint, get picked up and go to prison, prison, not county jail, prison for six years, get out, smoke another joint, and then go to jail for 10 years on top of that. Oh, just, you know, you'll know, forgive me, but I need to light up a joint right now because I'm in my garage. I'm not in the studio. And all this talk about cannabis, whew, it's frustrating. All right, frustrating, sad. And I'm going to take a few hits. And now we get to 19, 1932, where approximately 60% of all narcotics arrests involved cannabis. Holy Jesus, 60%, more than half of all narcotics. Arrest. That means they cared more about the cannabis than the cocaine and the meth and, the, and just the heroin. As such, in 1937... The Marijuana Tax Act, which made cannabis federally illegal, was put into play. But it didn't have much of an effect in California since the state was already hell-bent on punishing users. Yeah, California back then in the 1930s was not progressive, especially with cannabis, and they were punishing people left and right with cultivators, users, and sellers, taking them all and putting them in jail. In 1954, possession of cannabis could result in a one to 10 year prison sentence. 
Selling was punishable by up to 15 years in prison with a minimum of three years before you were even eligible for parole. A third offense? A third offense for the sale or possession of cannabis resulted in life in prison. Let me say that again. A third offense for the possession or sale of cannabis resulted in life in prison. Boy, we're, I uh, can't think of his name off the top of my head, but we got a gentleman who was just released. I think after 30, 40 years or something like that, the person being held the longest, he was recently released. And uh, I believe uh, our Cannabis Talk 101 producer team is going to get him on the air. So we'll be talking to him, but that's just one of many, many lives that were ruined, destroyed because of these ridiculous laws that were put in place for cannabis. Now, fortunately, there were some brave men and women who refused, outright refused to allow cannabis to die in California. The hippie and the beatnik cultures experimented with the drug, excuse me, experimented with cannabis. It, you know, we, we, we don't want to lump it in with other drugs. You know, it is a medicine. And this led to an increased interest in its use. So in 1964, the attorney for Lowell Ingemiri, a man arrested for a cannabis crime, established what we called the LEMAR, L-E-M-A-R, Legalize Marijuana. It was the first marijuana legalization group to be formed in the United States. And soon after, the Saturday Evening Post wrote a piece describing how almost half of the state's population tried cannabis. So people were using it. It was criminalized, but people were still using it. You couldn't stop it then. Although they were putting a lot of people in jail when they got caught. Now around this point, and in 1972, the state became the first to try and independently legalize the herb with Proposition 19. Now, sadly, Proposition 19, 66.5% of the residents voted down the measure. But it was still the start of a crucial movement. It has to start somewhere. And it started, and look, 66.5% shot it down. What? That leaves 34% that were for it. And the numbers were going to continually rise. Now, different areas of the state began to act. And in 1973, the Berkeley Marijuana Initiative, which forbid officers from making cannabis-related arrests unless it was approved by the city council. So you have some cities like Berkeley, which has always been progressive, starting to step up. And you know, that's how it starts. You have, you have uh, all the states in the union in the United States and then you hear you have California trying to bust through. But even then, it was met with resistance from a majority of the people in California. So you break it down. You have the cities, the localities. And we, you know, we say that now to this day. You've heard us say it before. When you're trying to make change and effectuate change, it starts at the local level. You've got to get into those city council meetings. So those county board of supervisor meetings, if you care, go run for city council, go run for a county board position, 
go in there and start to help make change at the local level because it starts there grassroots and then sprouts and grows and you water it and you get more people involved in other cities and then soon it consumes and takes over the state and soon it consumes and take over the country and you know i get a little ahead of myself but that's how it works that's how the will of the people will finally push through and you know we're here in 1973 and it has already started it went from complete and utter legalization to people starting to act in the face of it and people who aren't afraid to get arrested and go to jail civil disobedience you know a farmer says you know what screw these laws i don't believe it i'm going to cultivate i'm not hurting anybody i'm not being violent i'm not doing anything else but I'm going to cultivate. You want to come get me? Well, I'm going to be a martyr and you can come get me, arrest me, shackle me up and throw me in. But I believe in this plant. And it, it's, it's those people, those pioneers, not only back then, but as we went forward, those people, those growers who cultivated, it all starts with the cultivators, man. No cultivators, no cannabis, period. And a lot of them were up in the hills and in the mountains, afraid to come out and hiding under rocks and making the real good dank stuff, giving us that good cannabis. So I want to commend those, you know, what would, what would have been considered outlaws. And even, uh, you know, to this day in some areas, they're break, having to break the laws because of the ridiculous nature of how the government tries to control this beautiful plant. When we come back, we're going to get into 1975 to 1996 in California and the progression of cannabis. It's Cannabis Talk 101. We'll be right back after this break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. 
If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome back to Cannabis Talk 101. You know, it's Mark and Craig, Pop Brothers at Law, Blue, and Joe Grande. Although it's just me, Mark, the wasp, little brother of the Pop Brothers at Law, holding it down as we get through another show where we have to talk about how cannabis was a crime and still is a crime all over the country and most of the world. It is still some type of crime. You know, whether it's still an infraction or a misdemeanor or a felony or a conspiracy to commit the misdemeanor, which is a felony, it's still a crime. And the crime, the, the laws started to take more change. And we at least started to enter the road of decriminalization, not legalization. There's a big difference, right? Decriminalization can take it from a felony to a misdemeanor to an infraction to no crime. Decriminalize it versus legalize, which it is not, which is the word that's used all over the place wrongly. It's not legal anywhere because you can still get arrested for it if you don't fit within the parameters, within the guidelines, within the rules, within the laws that create the limits. All right. So we left off here. We got decriminalization and the road to legal medicinal cannabis in California. We're going to cover 1975 to 1996. Now, we talked about where we left off in 1973, the Berkeley Marijuana Initiative. Now, that's, remember that. They called it the Berkeley Marijuana Initiative. Remember that. If the Berkeley Initiative was a major development, then the Moscone Act, of 1975 was positively seismic, huge. By that year, an estimated 90% of cannabis arrests in California were for possession. 90% for possession, not sales, not cultivation, not let's go after the people who are making it. Let's go after the people who are dealing it. No, let's go after the end user. Who, who, met, who were using it medicinally? Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And in 1975, George Moscone, the mayor of San Francisco, introduced Senate Bill 95, which later became known as the Moscone Act. 
and it ensured that possession of one ounce or less could only be classified as a misdemeanor with no jail time and a $100 fine. So we're seeing progress. We're seeing progress. No, gone are the days of six years in jail for just a little bit of cannabis and 10 years for a second offense. At least Moscone said, hey, this isn't right. They didn't go all the way, but baby steps, progress. That's where it starts. Possession of an ounce or less is only a misdemeanor, no jail time, $100 fine. Now, in 1979, the Berkeley Marijuana Initiative Part 2 ensured that cannabis offenses, uh, cannabis offenses such as possession, transportation, sale, and cultivation of cannabis became the lowest priority for police officers. Now, by the late 80s, it became obvious that further research into the therapeutic effects of cannabis was necessary. And in 1988, a judge ruled that the DEA was hindering cannabis research. Now, this is in 1979. And from what I'm talking about here and from what you're hearing, boy, it sure sounds like that very soon, it's all gonna be good. I mean, in 1979, they're, they're telling the police to kick back and stop and, and, and don't bother these low level crimes of cannabis. And it needs more research. They started being vocal about it. 1979, the fuck? We're like 30, 30, 40 years later. All right, we'll get into that later. Now the movement to legalize medicinal cannabis originated from San Francisco in the early 1990s to 1991. So from 79, from 1979, when they were talking about, let's make less arrests, let's do more research. So from 1979 through the early 90s, what changed? You still have massive arrests. You still have illegalities. You still have people going to, remember, they reduced it to a misdemeanor, right? The possession. But if you conspire to commit a misdemeanor, it's a felony. So people were still getting hit with that. And then you get in through the 80s and you've got your just say no, Nancy Reagan, which, you know, Say no to cocaine and meth and crack and everything else, but don't say no to cannabis. But that's what they pushed and that's what they did. So during the 70s, as these new acts were coming in, reefer madness was taking its toll and being rejuvenated. You know, reefer madness, that movie came out in the 30s, you know, with our buddy Anslinger. And in the 80s, it just got kind of reinvigorated. And so we move into to, to the 90s. In 1991, almost 80% of voters approved of Proposition P, which was a measure that allowed the medical use of cannabis in San Francisco, just in San Francisco. The following year, the city's board of supervisors passed a resolution which urged the district attorney and the police commission to make once again, once again, because they did this in 1979, to make cannabis crimes the lowest priority offense. 
The San Francisco Cannabis Buyers Club was formed in 1992 and sold cannabis to medical patients. Now, that was 1992. Now, we didn't see real movement towards the path of legalization, more decriminalization until 1996. And that's when 55.6% of California residents voted to legalize cannabis. Now let's back up because that's what everybody heard. And that's why I said it, voted to legalize cannabis. Not true. It wasn't going to be legal. It was going to be limited use medicinally. In fact, when Prop 215 came out, it meant that cannabis was still a crime and in many cases felonies, but under Prop 215, you had what was called the immunity defense. You were immune from Prop 215 if you were a cannabis patient. And that's, you know, there are parameters to that, you had to get a physician's recommendation. Now, this Prop 215 led to a whole bunch of confusing issues that people had to understand. You know, Prop 215 said you could get a physician's recommendation oral or written. That's right. You don't need an actual written physician's recommendation. A physician can say, I recommend you use cannabis. And then you could go get it with that oral recommendation. However, how are you gonna prove that? You know, which, but it's in, the, it's in Prop 215. But how are you gonna prove it? Well, get it written, oral or written, get it written. That became the standard because you would need to show that at cooperatives or collectives to show that you were a medicinal patient. And that recommendation gave you the right to purchase, grow your own and use your own, carry your own. And that was Prop 215 in the beginning. And with the doctor's recommendations, we're gonna get into how the doctors took advantage of cannabis patients. And as me and my brother say, some of these doctors are just a bunch of whores. And we'll get into that when we get come back right after this break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. 
Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hey, welcome back. Cannabis Talk 101. All right, you got the Wass little brother, Mark Wasserman, here with you today once again. And we're going over the history of cannabis in California. And, you know, we went and left off at Prop 215 and the doctors, right? You need this physician's recommendation. Now, when that came out in 1996, physician's recommendation. That's all you needed, oral or written, one time. There was no expiration date, not in the law. You just needed that oral or written physician's recommendation, and you were good to go for the rest of your life to grow, consume, possess, and use cannabis. That was Prop 215. Remember, Prop 215 has nothing to do with cannabis business if you get into that. But Prop 215 gave the patient the right to do that with that physician's recommendations. But what did doctors do? Doctors who take the Hippocratic Oath that I am here to to help patients to make sure that they can heal and what? No. They decided, well, I'm going to stick a one-year expiration date on this. Bing! So you got to come back in a year and pay me another 100 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever they charge but let's put an expiration date on it. So you have to come back. That led to the authorities and police basically using that as a guideline. If you had a recommendation that was quote unquote expired because you had it for two years, they're going to write you a ticket. You're going to have to go to court, but we're going to be able to beat it in court because we bring a declaration or the doctor in to testify No, that was my recommendation. I gave it to him. And under Prop 215, there is no expiration date. So these doctors created the expiration date. They also did something horrible. 
absolutely horrible, which caused, I can't even tell you how many people to have a false sense of security and go to jail. <coughs> Excuse me, I had to cough. But these doctors would say, hey, you want to grow 50 plants? You want to carry 50 pounds? You want to grow 99 plants? Well, you can with this good old-fashioned 99 plant recommendation for you. Just $250, and you can grow 99 plants all yourself, and you will be able to do whatever you want with your cannabis. That's what they were pushing. Go ahead, grow 99 plants. And a lot of people, which is wrong, that the feds aren't going to get involved unless there's more than 99. If there's 100 plants, then the feds could get involved. Well, the feds could get involved at any time because it's federally illegal from one plant to a million. It's federally illegal, no matter which way you slice it. So you have these doctors who just unconscionable and people would grow and re-represent. I can't even tell you. I started practicing law in 1996. That was my first year when Prop 215 came out. I went right into criminal defense to help cannabis patients who were getting busted. And you get people who come to us. I was growing 99 plants. The doctor said I could do it. And I was growing it. And then, you know, I was selling some to my friends. And But the doctor said I could grow 99 plants. Well, the doctor's not a lawyer. And the doctor's just trying to rip you off and make some money. Because the fact of the matter is, under Prop 215, you and still holds true to this day. Listen up, it hasn't gone away. Prop 215 is alive and well for you, the cannabis patient, for yourself, for patients' rights. And under Prop 215, you can grow and cultivate and use and possess as much as you medically need. Now, what does that mean? As much as you medically need means. At the end of the day, what you can prove, if you go to court and you get busted for having 50 plants, well, we're going to have to go into court with your doctor to, who gave you the recommendation to explain and tell the judge and possibly a jury why you need medicinal cannabis over all the other crap, over all the opiates and the other things for all your different ailments and injuries and illnesses and whatever it is you've got. We need all those medical records doctor to declare it. That's the evidence that we use to prove. And then we also have to bring in a cannabis expert to say, oh, 50 plants. Well, by the time it's cultivated and trimmed down and cut in the yield, this is how much you have left. And then he takes some of the flour and breaks it down and makes it into an oil or a rub or a tea or an edible, or he smokes some or makes it into a tincture or so on and so forth. So at the end of the day, those 50 plants and 99 plants as it breaks down to your medicine, it's going to last you six, seven, eight months. So if you get busted with all that, that's the process you go through. Then what happened in, uh, in California, you, you, start, you had the Prop 215 in 1996, and then you had Senate Bill 420 that came around. And in 2008, the Attorney General Guidelines further broke down Senate Bill 420, because in Senate Bill 420, now here's the thing too, with the, there was no business 
vehicle in Prop 215. There was no way for a cannabis business to get started. There was nothing for it. Prop 215 was just for patients. And here in California, you've heard all, oh, here's a Prop 215 event. No, no such thing. Those were the illegal sessions, the, 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 the drug dealing swap meets that still go on today. And they're just not legal. So be careful if you go to those. Your Prop 215 card ain't going to help you. Your recommendation ain't going to help you with that. So the attorney general guidelines came out in 2008 to break down Senate Bill 420, which in Senate Bill 420 said that patients can cooperatively, cooperatively or collectively get together to sell their cannabis to each other as a cooperative corporation, a not-for-profit entity. And one of our good friends, a good friend for, of the show, recently had him on for a great interview. Matthew Cuman was pretty much at the forefront of creating the cooperative corporation so businesses could start to operate within the parameters of these laws of Prop 215, Senate Bill 420, and the Attorney General Guidelines. By being a cooperative corporation, not-for-profit, you had to abide by these guidelines and keep your records. And basically, you know, once this was created from 2008 up until 2016 and the passage of Prop 64 into 2018, when the uh, uh, Adult Use Cannabis Medical Regulation Safety Act came out, this period of time is when people could operate with their cooperatives and collectives. And it was only a defense. We talked about it earlier. Prop 215 was only a defense. You could bring the defense. You could still get arrested. So, so back then from 20, uh, 2008 to 2018, for those 10 years, we had people coming to our office and I would literally sit them down and say, all right, get ready. I'm going to tell you how to commit the felonies of cultivation, possession, sales, distribution of cannabis, and how to have a built-in defense. It was the only, only crime, only crimes that we could say, go ahead and go do it. Because as attorneys, you know, we can't, we can't tell you to commit crimes. But this, in this case, go do it. We're going to give you the proper setup, the cooperative corporation. Here's that. Here's a, a, another booklet from A to Z. This is what you are going to do. This is how you're going to operate. You're going to sign patient members. You're going to keep these records, A, B, C, D, all the way through Z. You're going to do all this. And you're going to keep this booklet with you. And if you get pulled over, you're going to shut the fuck up. That's never changed. You're never going to talk to the cops. And if you get busted for these felonies, we will be able to get you out of it. We will get the cases dismissed if you listen to what we say and do exactly what we say. And we had many, many clients over that decade period where they were busted for multiple felonies and we brought our motions and we got cases dismissed left and right, starting with my nephew, Jay Cures of West Coast Cure. You know, that's where really where me and big brother made our bones, protecting our family, protecting our my brother's son, my nephew, who was in it for the patients, and he was helping patients, and he was operating as a cooperative. And as things moved on, you had to change with it. So we fast forward to 2016, Prop 64 passes overwhelmingly in California, 
And then come 2018, the regulations hit. And that's a whole other ball game, a whole other show to talk about how the regulations that came along really made things difficult for the cannabis businesses, especially the mom and pops that could come to us and for, you know, 20 grand for a whole year, you had our representation. If you got busted with felonies, we represented you. We were there to give you advice and counsel on how to operate your corporation, your cooperative, and how to do everything right. Now, you better have a couple hundred thousand dollars to millions of dollars if you want to get into the game. But as I said, that's another story for another time. You know, this has been a brief history of cannabis in California from, as I said, it was legal way back in the 1800s and they were making rope and all sorts of other great products. The hemp farms were just uh, with an abundance all over. And then it was criminalized and vilified and made out to be the worst thing in the world. So people could profit. So prisons could be built. So fines could be paid. And so minorities could be kept down. So now finally, we're not all the way out of the woods because as I said at the beginning of the show, it is not legalized. It's partial legalization all across the country. People are still going to jail for cannabis. And until that stops, we're not going to stop fighting, arguing, talking about it, advocating about it. Here at Cannabis Talk 101, we are going to push the train forward for federal legalization, for complete, complete legalization all across the country and all across the world for crying out loud. And remember this, here at Cannabis Talk 101, if no one else loves you, we do. Thank you for listening to Cannabis Talk 101 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. 
Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.